Hi there, everybody. Welcome to the first podcast officially for 2018. A slew of six episodes you'll be getting in this particular year on the Sound and Groove podcast that you can find on musicofevansmind.blogspot.com and hosted by Not the Public Broadcaster under the podcast banner. Several other great ones, and this is your music one. If you want to get information historical, anything relevant toward great songs, all tied in by one theme, this is your place to go. I'm Evan Dobigan, your host. And we're back for another whole year, as I said, six episodes, and this one is the first of a two-part theme. This one I'm calling First Name Basis. So these are songs with a person's name. Uh, I'll be alternating between uh, typical male and female names on this episode. But uh, you get the idea that uh, basically in the title, or describing the song, but mostly in the title, pretty much. I think all in the title, we're talking about a person's name. And uh, it doesn't have to be a song about a particular real person that exists. It just could be, you know, one within the uh, subject matter of the song. That's all that really matters, right? So, you know, uh, for, ex- for example, the first one we're going to play, it's called Adam's Rib. And it's by a Canadian rocker from uh, who had her biggest fame in the 90s named Melanie Doan. And this is one of her biggest hits uh, at, at home. <laughs> I don't know, really. That wasn't exactly a huge. And she's never been a big name in the United States anyway. And it's a title track on her second album, which came out in September of 1998. Like I said, it wasn't, you know, much of an impact because very little promotional support was done for it. But she kind of rode the way. I mean, she wasn't part of the Little Fair tour. But there was a huge wave of that uh, kind of uh, fame for a lot of uh, female singer-songwriters going on. And riding the crest of that, Melanie Doan uh, was just one of many, and a lot of them were Canadian too, who happened to be big little fair. So there's like all these women who are lumped into the genre of fair or unfair. It's kind of a kind of a unifying thing that people find because they say, oh, there's Jewel. And I mean, they put out, I think there was a whole compilation of various artist things called Women in Songs that was done in Canada, I seem to recall. So you'd have a lot of them, and a lot of them were Canadian, and it was like Lorena McKennett and Melanie Doan and uh, Sarah McLaughlin, and then you got American uh, singer-songwriters like Jewel. A lot of them had sort of a background or a basis in uh, in uh, folk, but, you know, and others could rock out once in a while. And uh, a Nova Scotia girl, uh, Melanie Doan, did have uh, that, you know, like training in several instruments. And this one particularly is more of an electric song, so it's not necessarily folky like a lot of Little Fair stuff anyway, but... Let's take a listen, huh? From 1998, the first track on this First Name Basis podcast episode, Adam's Rib by Melanie Doan on the Sound of Groove podcast.
Okay, there was Adam's Rib by Melanie Doan from 1998. You can really hear in that song uh, her, Cal her uh, East Coast roots because it's got a lot of that sort of Atlantic Canadian music influence there and mandolin and fiddle and all that. But it definitely has a real crunchy rocking bottom to it. It's definitely more of a uh, hard edge song than your typical sort of uh, happy little jaunt <laughs> from, uh, from East Coast music that uh, Canada's known for. And uh, even though that's, you know, where she's from and stuff, and she specializes in all kinds of instruments. She played ukulele and mandolin and fiddle and piano and guitar. But, uh, yeah, that particular tune there is probably her most well-known, even up here in Canada. She has a minor career, but definitely a great tune. If you want to call her a one-hit wonder, that's fine, but you know, that's a great hit to have, that's for sure. And uh, let's move on now to another song here in the uh, First Name Basis podcast theme, episode number one. It's... Another great female singer-songwriter, but one from the late 80s when there sort of was an uprising of uh, socially conscious, more folk-based ones out of, uh, well, all over the United States, really. And one of them was Suzanne Vega. She came to prominence on her second album with the hits. Uh, more, you know, One of them was a chart hit. The other was more of a hit on FM radio and stuff. You had Luca, a very famous song about, you know, uh, about uh, child abuse, and another song called Tom's Diner which, of course, was actually written about a restaurant that was featured from the exterior on almost every Seinfeld episode as Tom's Restaurant, which actually exists still in New York as a bit of a landmark, thanks to Seinfeld, and lesser so to Suzanne Vega. Now, this track, Rosemary, what I'm going to play, is uh, an unreleased song that was eventually put out on her 1998 compilation, the Tried and True, The Best of Suzanne Vega. And uh, so, yeah, we're going to get to it now. It's not one of her, like, higher, better-known songs, but it's still a really good one actually and I figured I would go with some artists here that I don't you know I have not played much of if ever and thinking back I don't think I've played anything by Suzanne Vega if, if I would have it would have been Luca and I don't think I even went for that one although that is a name too by the way but I decided we went with Adam on the last one so let's go with uh, a female name here and Rosemary's a pretty nice dignified female name so let's just uh, get into that right now this is uh, released in 1998 it's a track from Suzanne Vega here called Rosemary, so I hope you enjoy it. Right away, coming at you on the Sound and Groove podcast. Do you remember when you walked with me Down the street into the square How the women selling rosemary Press the branches to your chest Promise luck and all the rest Put their fingers in your hair I had met you just the day before Like an accident of fate In the window there behind your door how I wanted to break into that room beneath your skin But all that would have to wait In the carmen of the martyrs With the statues in the courtyard Whose heads and hands were taken In the burden of the sun I had come to meet you With a question in my footsteps I was going up the hillside And the journey just begun Sister says she never dreams at night 
days when I know why Most possibilities within her sight With no way of coming true Cause some things just don't get through into this world All right, there was Rosemary by Suzanne Vega. I was saying part of a late 80s sort of a renaissance of uh, female singer-songwriters. There was also Tracy Chapman, Sean Colvin. Uh, the list goes on here. I'm just going to get right into it with the next particular track. This is from 1955, so we're going way far back. It's Smokey Joe's Cafe, one of the many classics, uh, particularly the doo-wop genre, written by the uh, songwriting production team of Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. Uh, they did this one with a group called the Robins, and a couple of the members of this band later were used uh, to form uh, the Coasters, uh, another very successful band that had more of a humorous side to it that Lieber and Stoller used. They were trying to appeal to teenagers at the time, and when they started writing tunes together, because both had a love for rhythm and blues, blues music, that kind of stuff, a lot of the uh, African-American recordings that people really weren't putting out there, really weren't into in the early 50s when they were high school buddies out in Los Angeles, um, they uh, became a songwriting team, and right out of high school, were starting to uh, find their tunes covered by big name uh, artists. They had Hound Dog in Kansas City in 1952, and then the list started to become pretty prominent after that. You know, like songs for Elvis Presley, for uh, Big Mama Thornton. She did the original for her, for uh, her uh, the particular track Hound Dog, which of course Elvis turned into a big thing. Charles Brown and. Oh boy, the, yeah, the, the Drifters later when they were uh, they were on a label bought up by Atlantic Records, and that allowed them to produce. Uh, they also were allowed to produce for other labels at the time, making them independent. Because back then, mostly producers were stuck to one particular record label. So, yeah, they were a big help to revitalizing the Drifters' career, and of course they had the Coasters going along with them. They uh, also were kind of like mentors to Phil Spector in the early '60s. And, uh, yeah, just sort of Smokey Joe's Cafe, this particular track here, was the title of it was uh, used to name a play that was one of the longest-running musical reviews on Broadway. Um, it became a huge Tony Award-winning uh, theatrical production. And these guys basically are, have get, been given every honor and Hall of Fame nomination you can imagine. Um, Lieber passed away in 2011, but Stoller's still around uh, in his early 80s now. And it's really quite amazing. Uh, two white guys from... Uh, originally from Baltimore and Long Island that let, uh, met in California when they were uh, living in L.A., could get together and become such an amazing songwriting duo, uh, you know, finding hits for just about everybody you could name in the 50s could go to them and find a huge smash hit. And, of course, that le lived on years later when 60s artists were covering their songs, too, because it had such a big influence on the course of rhythm and blues as well as the soul music to come later when they... Uh, their work sort of evolved throughout the 50s and then into the 60s. So uh, they were quite uh, amazing. And the Robins are the doo-wop group that was active in the late 40s into the 50s that made this particular track of theirs, Smokey Joe's Cafe. And uh, that's what we'll get to right now. It's a, a good example of the kind of more uh, lighthearted, humorous fare that they were known for. And we're going to play it. So get ready for that. The Robins with Smokey Joe's Cafe, another Lieber Stoller classic. Right here on Sound of Groove Podcast. Oh, I, I, Smokey Joe's Cafe. Oh, I, I, Smokey Joe's Cafe. One day while I was eating me at Smokey Joe's Cafe. Just sitting, digging 
Funky Joe's Cafe. A chick came walking through the door that I have never seen before. At least I never saw her bow at Smokey Joe's Cafe. Ooh, and I started shaking when she sat right down next to me. Ooh, her knees were almost touching my Smokey Joe's Cafe. Her chill was running down my spine at Smokey Joe's Cafe. Ooh, I could smell a sweet perfume. She smiled at me, my heart went boom. Then everybody in the room at Smokey Joe's Cafe. They said, man, be careful. That chick belongs to Smokey Joe. Behind the counter, I saw a man, a shelf hat on his head and a knife in his hand. He grabbed me by my collar and began to shout. Eat up all your beans and bar and clear right on out. Yes, I know I'll never eat again at Smokey Joe's Cafe. And so we'll never meet again at Smokey Joe's Cafe. I'd rather eat my chili beans. At Jim's or Jack's or John's or Jim's Then take my chances eating out At Smokey Joe's Cafe Ooh, I rest my life when That Smokey Joe's a crazy fool Okay, there was Smokey Joe's Cafe uh, by The Robins back in 1955 uh, one of the many great classics written by the Mike Lieber or the uh, Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller duo. It started with 1952's Hard Times by Charles Brown. But the real classics were tunes like Kansas City, Hound Dog, which was covered by several and started with Big, Mom, Big Mama Thornton, as I said. And then later Elvis Presley made a smash hit, which he also did with Love Me, which was first done by Willie and Ruth. And then also the Drifters, a ton of hits for them, like Ruby Baby and uh, There Goes My Baby. They don't know how baby in the title, believe me, but that's an example for you. And uh, Benny King, who was the lead singer of the Drifters and went solo, had a huge hit with a track that they wrote called Stand By Me, which you might know very well. One of the great pop songs ever written, really. And uh, they were uh, their, their, their hits slowed down a little later in the 60s, but they were still quite an in-demand duo. And could write in any style you could really ask for. A huge, influential doo-wop songwriting teams. Let's move on now, away from Smokey Joe's Cafe, to another song with a name in it. Let's go with a feminine one this time. We're going to go with Yolanda, a track from the mid-70s by Bobby Blue Bland. Uh, his nickname being Blue. Uh, but Bobby Bland, you can just call him so it doesn't sound like such a tongue twister. Uh, he had a bit of a renaissance in the mid-70s. He had kind of a lot of a long string of great R&B hits and was a constant charter and had a few pop crossover successes in the uh, late 50s but especially in the first half of the 60s and then all of a sudden that's you know the hits started drying up he wasn't able to really uh, latch onto the new trends his uh, success started to really wane and then uh, he became um, despondent kind of with a you know battle of depression and became dependent on alcohol but things started to turn around when he moved to ABC Records in the 70s, and all of a sudden his career was revived with several uh, notorious hits like Going Down Slow, Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City, which was later turned into a big rock ballad by the band White Snake, if you would believe it or not. Also, I Wouldn't Treat a Dog the Way You Treated Me was his first top five R&B hit in a decade. And this song, Yolanda, was a minor one going to number 21, and not even making the top 100 of the pop charts, but 
another example of the great sort of bluesy, uh, kind of gritty, soulful mid-70s uh, sort of renaissance that he had, is what I would call it, actually. And uh, this particular track comes on his album, Dreamer, uh, which is another solid entry for him. His California album is very good, too, as well as Get On Down or Reflections in Blue. He had this really good run on ABC Records. And then he kind of sort of uh, got lost in disco era, but made a big comeback uh, doing blues albums in the 80s and into the 90s and touring the Chitlin circuit of the modern day before health problems started to set in and he eventually passed away at 83 years old not too long ago in 2013. So let's take a listen to the real powerful but uh, raw, rough-hewn vocal style of Bobby Blue Bland right here on the Sound of Group podcast. It's his track from 1974, Yolanda. Here it is on the First Name Basis podcast theme episode. Take it away. with Yolanda from Bobby Bland back in 1974 on his uh, tremendous album uh, Dreamer produced by Michael O'Marchin I think for the ABC label that was uh, part of a big comeback uh, for him in the mid 70s I mean he didn't have a lot of smash hits or anything but for him it was really a return to form 
commercially and artistically somewhat after really falling off in the late 60s and kind of going through a period of depression and heavy drinking, you know, kind of reevaluating his life and career and everything. And he really bounced back. And then when his sort of commercial fortunes waned by the end of the decade, he delved back into the blues. And that really served him well, considering there was a blues revival in the mid 80s, you know, with a lot of guys, uh, new blood coming to the forefront, like uh, Robert Cray and Stevie Ray Vaughan, that really helped a lot of older guard blues artists get some recognition. So let's move on here in the uh, podcast episode with another track. This is uh, from the Fleet Foxes, who are a great group that came out of the Pacific Northwest in the mid-2000s. Whatever you call that decade, the aughts or something. Uh, kind of had a bit of an electric sound at first, a little folky, folkier uh, tones to it, mind you. But then in their full-length debut, their first album, which was self-titled in 2008, they stripped a lot of the electric uh, instruments away in favor of acoustic sounds. And a sound that was almost like mountain folk, it was kind of just like, you know, I don't know, I don't really want to label it too specifically, because, you know, you could call it hippie. It was compared to Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I don't really find that comparison so apropos, because even though they had close, uh, clean harmonies, I find actually uh, the Fleet Foxes even do it better than CSN ever did. They Their music's a little less, uh, I guess, it's a little less uh, extravagant, maybe less ego-tripping than you had in CSN. I think the the music's a little more folky, a little more dark, textured, kind of uh, mysterious that way. They remind me a lot of the uh, Brian Wilson Pet Sound Smile era Beach Boys, to be honest with you. Um, some of that group's uh, mid to late 60s stuff that moved away from the surf thing into a more folky, uh, introspective, reflective California sound. And these guys are from the same coast, although they're not Californian, obviously. They're a little more, it's a little more from the backwoods and the wetter, colder part of the Pacific Coast, obviously. So anyway, this is a track from that album, the closing one, uh, the last of 11 songs. It's called Oliver James, and it's a really good slice of what you can get on their album. It's a little more uplifting and bright than the other tracks you might hear on the album, some of the other great ones. But it's truly a fantastic uh, debut work, and it got a lot of acclaim, a lot of accolades and stuff, and they followed it up three years later with Helplessness Blues, and then they didn't really do much they sort of like drifted apart did a lot of solo projects and other things in life and everything until their third album came out uh last june called crack up which i have yet to actually investigate but i'll get back to you anytime i do listen so anyway we'll get to the fleet fox's first album and this song oliver james here in the sound group podcast first themed episode of 2018 which if you haven't heard i'm reminding you is called first name basis so let's get to it oliver james the fleet fox is here on the sound group podcast Kitchen table that you 
Oliver James from the Fleet Foxes on their tremendous debut album in 2008. Uh, one that uh, really, admir- I, I guess you could pretty much uh, say that the one who emerged as the most impressive from that stellar uh, first effort was uh, Robin Pecknold. He was undoubtedly the creative force behind the band and the fact that he's credited as the songwriter on every one of their tracks, which is, you know, uh, something to, to uh, be said for that, considering the album was so widely uh, praised and you know it was named one of the top albums of 2008 by most critical outlets and it's gone down to be known as one of the best albums from that decade perhaps the best album of 2008 it, it you know there's every like everything it draws from its sources and there's not entire originality but they you know fused that into such a new uh, exciting type sound that sounded like you know it was coming straight out of a cabin in the woods somewhere and in reality they did uh, rehearse and they did um, write a lot of their music there as a group I mean, Robin Pecknell ultimately wrote a lot of the songs, but of course, you know, the band helped arrange it all. His uh, best friend from the high school that uh, they really formed the band with, or that they really formed the band together with him anyway, was Skylar Skell's set. And um, at the time, Nicholas Peterson, Casey Westcott, and Craig Curran were the other members of the group. But uh, yeah, so the UK, of course, it caught on a little more commercially than the United States, where they never really were or have been accepted as a huge sort of they're not rocking a lot of the time, so I think that might go against them. There's no hip-hop beats or anything like that. But that's kind of what makes them stand out so much, is that they're not really part of the mainstream that way. They're doing music that sounds like you've heard it before, but it's entirely different, entirely new at the same time. It's hard to explain, really. But anyway, that's enough about the Fleet Foxes after that tremendous opening cut on that debut album of theirs called Oliver James. So let's move on to a different band. It's called The Wallflowers. Now, you're pretty familiar with these guys if you grew up in the 90s, if you're old enough to remember. Uh, they kind of hit the waves, uh, airwaves, and the uh, much music or MTV, whatever have you, uh, depending on which country you're from, video charts in the late 90s with their uh, popular album, Bringing Down the Horse. And that came out in 1996, and it slowly gained momentum. It wasn't even their first album, actually, too. Their major label debut had come four years earlier, and they had a, low, a slow, torturous kind of process to get that second one out, and it finally did, and eventually became a big platinum seller for them, launched them into superstardom, you might say. Well, they never really sustained that for too long, you know, but they've uh, sort of, they already carved themselves into the uh, memory banks of a lot of people, which a lot of bands can't say. They usually fade away after a hit or don't even get one. But these guys did. They had a few. The really huge one that took off for them was One Headlight. And then they had another one after that, almost as big, called The Difference. And this one was also a minor hit called Three Marlenas. And uh, it kind of sounds like it's a bit of a drinking song, of course. 
But it's kind of a, you know, maybe it's about seeing three different girls, uh, three different visions of the same girl Marlena. Who knows? But let's take a listen to it from 1996. It's three Marlenas, but the Wallflowers. It's on a group podcast. Somebody's bed She's gonna dye her hair red She only went and did what she did Cause he would drive her home then There's lipstick, a honeymoon dress She hadn't even paid yet But it doesn't matter She paid her rent One, two, three Marlenas There's got to be someone we can trust Out here among us Three Marlenas with the Wallflowers, of course, written by their central figure, Jacob Dylan. And he drew some comparisons to Bob, uh, you know, even though I'm sure he wouldn't have liked to have uh, heard those because the sound is a lot like, you know, mid 60s Dylan. I mean, the Hammond B3 organ there doesn't help, you know, sort of uh, sway people from making those comparables. 
but uh, ultimately it's different. It's a little more melodic and tuneful, and as plain and as similar as his singing voice sounds to his father, it's a little better. He doesn't have you know the same issues with pitch or you know the decline in voice that his father had. He still has a similar voice that he had when he broke in. But yeah, that tune, that tune, that album is a stellar one on a really good album that hit them uh, into the big time in the multi-platinum sort of form. Um, and of course, like it took a long time because their first album was on Virgin and they subsequently parted ways. They left the label and um, eventually got rediscovered and they were put on Interscope Records, which is a Jimmy Iovine run label, and T-Bone Burnett, a huge name, of course, in the recording industry, big time producer, who had his own little solo career at one point, but uh, has produced, you know, Grammy-winning smash hit soundtracks a lot of the time, and uh, other particular works that have won. I don't know what it is, but it seems like every year or two he's producing or arranging or doing something with an album that wins big at the Grammys. Not that that's, you know, the ultimate achievement because it's just opinions from a bunch of recording industry guys anyway, and usually it goes to the wrong people. Let's not get started on the Grammys anyway. But, uh, yeah, that really was a big score for them, and it led to such success, you know, ultimately. And, you know, the album didn't really take off right away, like I said. But once it did, they never looked back, and they never really followed it up the same way with the same kind of, um, you know, critical, or maybe not critical, but commercial uh, success, obviously. But Jacob Dylan has had an acclaimed solo career since that point, so that's... No, he definitely hasn't gone away. There's, There's some of that old... Talent does run in the family there. That's that's for damn sure. <laughs> so let's move on, huh? To another track here. It's called "The Letter That Johnny Walker Read," and it's a well-known uh, tune from a, a you know kind of a retro western swing country band called Asleep at the Wheel. This one wasn't some massive smash success. It was a top ten country hit on the Billboard charts. You know, and a lot of big country artists have had a ma- millions and millions of hits. Uh, not literally, but, you know, dozens and dozens of number ones, though. Uh, so for that, you know, way, it's not their most popular one. But it's gone down in their uh, history as one of the more signature tracks. Of course, Johnny Walker is the label of Scotch Whiskey. <laughs> so that's kind of a pun on that here. And, of course, it's a pun because this red label is one of the Johnny Walker Scotches you can get. So anyhow, so let's listen to The Letter That Johnny Walker Read on the Sound of Group Podcast. Sleep at the Wheel. Johnny Walker sat at a table in a bar Minded his own affairs Drinking his namesake over the rocks He was drunk, too drunk to care When a girl in the bar walked up beside him And this is what she said She said a woman came by with a letter for you And this is what the letter said Walked outside 
He was thinking of his wife and little children at home And how his drinking had ruined their lives Then John, he stared off into that street light And a vision filled his poor, poor heart with dread For it was him lying drunk there in that gutter Clutching in his hand the letter that Johnny Walker read And this is what it said All right, there was the letter that Johnny Walker read, kind of a humorous uh, kind of take on uh, old honky-tonk classics and a little bit of, you know, that Tex-Mex sound with the horns there from uh, Asleep at the Wheel from 1975. Uh, get the little chorus uh, singing back to them with uh, the female perspective on everything from the letter that's sent to Johnny Walker. Anyway, let's uh, keep going here. Let's speed this process up while I get you a couple more tunes in for this particular podcast episode. And uh, let's move on to a new band, of course, obviously. But um, Romeo and Juliet is the name of the track. And, of course, you know, that's the famed Shakespeare um, lovers that he wrote his most famous play on and has been adapted and used uh, in literature many, many times over. But uh, Mark Knopfler, the central figure himself of Dire Straits, wrote a tune inspired of it or rather inspired from it, and it's on their third album, Making Movies, that came out in 1980, and this is a really cinematic album, <laughs> no pun intended. They go for a lot of longer tracks, ones that sort of evoke memories of film, or they kind of sound like they could be a part of a soundtrack, and I guess it's kind of the <laughs> thing that uh, Knopfler and his bandmates were aiming for, and it was a really big uh, commercial hit that kind of bounced back from the more disappointing sales of their second album, Communique. They had a really, you know, like a... Uh, Big dent from their uh, first album, Dire Straits, a self-titled one in 1978. They had Sultans of Swing and several other tracks that really were popular on the, on the radio and on their charts. And then they slipped a little with the second one, even though it was a decent album. And then this one, they skyrocketed back into fame and had some videos to go with, some video clips. So they caught the, uh, the crest of MTV as it uh, was emerging. And of course, two albums later, Brothers in Arms was a massive success. One of the first big-selling CDs, so it kind of kicked off that digital age. And also uh, had a ton of uh, popularity with the videos on MTV and uh, launched them to a stratosphere that I don't think Knopfler ever really knew what to deal with uh, for, uh, from. He only put out one more album with the Dire Straits name, actually, afterward, and he stuck to you know, solo work and soundtracks from that point on and collaborations and things like that. Uh, but here you got a good example of what makes Dire Straits strong. Great guitar picking from Knopfler, who eschewed a lot of using a plectrum to use finger-picking style with his hands or with actual devices, finger picks that you can attach. That, anyway, you can hear it in the sound. But let's uh, get onto the track. It's one that depicts Romeo and Juliet in a more modern setting and kind of like him courting her and trying to you know, serenade her from her uh, balcony. Anyway, uh, it's from 1980, and it's uh, pretty one of the top tracks on a great album, so let's get to it. Romeo and Juliet on the Sound of Group Podcast. Struck Romeo, 
sing the streets a serenade Laying everybody low With a love song that he made Find the streetlight Steps out of the shade Says something like You and me, babe How about it? Juliet says Hey, it's Romeo He nearly gave me a heart attack He's underneath the window She's singing I'm a boyfriend's back You shouldn't come around here Singing up to people like that Anyway, what you gonna do about it? Juliet The dice was loaded from the start And I bet Many you exploded into my heart And I forget, I forget The movie song when you're gonna realize it was just that the time was wrong Juliet Come up on different streets They both were streets of shame Both dirty, both mean Yes, and the dream was just the same and I dream your dream for you And now your dream is real How can you look at me as if I was just another one of your deals When you can fall for chains of silver You can fall for chains of gold You can fall for pretty strangers And the promises they hold You promised me everything You promised me thick and thin, yeah Now you just say, oh, Romeo, yeah You know, I to have a scene with him Juliet When we made love You used to cry Said I love you like the stars above I love you till I die There's a place For us You know the movie song When you're gonna realize It was just that the time was wrong Juliet Talks like the talk on the TV, and I can't do a love song like the way it's meant to be. I can't do everything, but I'll do anything for you. I can't do anything except be in love with you. And all I do is miss you, and the way we used to be. All I do is keep the beat. Bad company And all I do is kiss you Through the bars of a rhyme Julie, I do the stars with you Anytime All right, there was the beautiful, evocative, uh, one of the long, many long-winding tracks. I think there's only seven on the entire album, Making Movies by Dire Straits, Romeo and Juliet. And that's a great way to cap off this episode. I'm going to quickly say adieu for you to uh, join me again next time and all that jazz. Hopefully you'll uh, really be intrigued and want to hear more tracks because that's what's going to come up not too long from now on the second part of this theme, the Sound of Groove podcast. So until then, take care and enjoy the music. See ya. 